Hello, everybody. It's April 2nd. This is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast. My name is David McAdam, and what a privilege it is to consistently read the Word of God together. With the Holy Spirit's help and a heart that is willing to obey, God's Word promises to produce renewal in the spirit of our minds. We want to have our thoughts, attitudes, and actions to be in alignment with what God wants for His disciples. It's a joy to know that we can have peace with God by being reconciled through the saving work of His Son. Do you have that peace? Do you know Christ personally? Have you seen that we all need to be made right with God? That when it comes to righteousness, the righteousness that we need to stand before a holy God, that in ourselves we don't have a leg to stand on? We are reading the book of Deuteronomy, the last of the five books of Moses, a reiteration of God's holy law, given primarily for the benefit of the new generation who are ready to cross the Jordan River into the promised land. However, the law is not given to show us how righteous we are, but how righteous we are not. We need a Savior to cross the Jordan. We need a Joshua. We learn that even Joshua could not provide the promised rest that's needed for salvation. We need the greater Joshua. We need Jesus. We have learned that Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, means the Lord is salvation, God to the rescue. Jesus is the only one who can rescue us from our condition of spiritual death and take care of our sin debt. To reconcile us with God. We have read about the laws pertaining to Israel's appointed kings, priests, and prophets. We learned that Jesus perfectly fulfills these offices. He is king, the truth about who he is as sovereign Lord. He is the great high priest, the truth about the required perfect sacrifice to atone for sin and give us a right standing before him. And he is prophet, the full thought of God perfectly expressed. He is the living word. We learn more about the nature of sin in the book of Deuteronomy. The plight of people today is that they suffer for sin but have no words for it. By and large, they realize the wrongness of human behavior but do not personally accept the responsibility for it. They mollify it, calling it a genetic predisposition, low self-esteem or social conditioning, or the result of oppression, intersectionality, poverty, or poor education. To call it sin is considered hopelessly old-fashioned, but it is the right diagnosis. It stems from disavowance of God's right to rule our lives. It can be traced back to the original rebellion, the choice to be self-ruled rather than ruled by God. It has led to human brokenness, a brokenness that can only be remedied by the intervention of our loving God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's begin our reading with Deuteronomy chapter 21, as we continue to hear God's self-revelation in His law as given in the Mosaic Covenant. We are learning more about the cities of refuge and the plan for atonement being made for unsolved murders. Chapter 21 of the book of Deuteronomy. If in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess, someone is found slain, lying in the open country, and it is not known who killed him, then your elders and your judges shall come out, and they shall measure the distance to the surrounding cities. And the elders of the city that is nearest to the slain man shall take a heifer that has never been worked, and that has not pulled in a yoke. And the elders of that city 
shall bring the heifer down to a valley with running water, which is neither plowed nor sown, and shall break the heifer's neck there in the valley. Then the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come forward, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord. And by their word every dispute and every assault shall be settled. And all the elders of that city nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. And they shall testify, Our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it shed. Accept atonement, O Lord, for your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, and do not set the guilt of innocent blood in the midst of your people Israel, so that their blood guilt be atoned for. So you shall purge the guilt of innocent blood from your midst, when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. When you go out to war against your enemies, and the Lord your God gives them into your hand, and you take them captive, and you see among the captives a beautiful woman, and you desire to take her to be your wife, and you bring her home to your house, she shall shave her head and pare her nails, and she shall take off the clothes in which she was captured, and shall remain in your house, and lament her father and her mother a full month. After that you may go in to her and be her husband, and she shall be your wife. But if you no longer delight in her, you shall let her go where she wants. But you shall not sell her for money, nor shall you treat her as a slave, since you have humiliated her. Inheritance Rights of the Firstborn If a man has two wives, the one loved and the other unloved, and both the loved and the unloved have borne him children, and if the firstborn son belongs to the unloved, then on the day when he assigns his possessions as an inheritance to his sons, he may not treat the son of the loved as the firstborn in preference to the son of the unloved who is the firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the firstfruits of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. A Rebellious Son If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey our voice, he is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. A man hanged on a tree is cursed. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Chapter 22 Various Laws You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he does not live near you, and you do not know who he is, you shall bring it home to your house, and it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. And you shall do the same with his donkey, or with his garment, or with any lost thing of your brother's, which he loses 
and you find. You may not ignore it. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him to lift them up again. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. If you come across a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground, with young ones or eggs, and the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall let the mother go. But the young you may take for yourself, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long. When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house, if any one should fall from it. You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest the whole yield be forfeited, the crop that you have sown and the yield of the vineyard. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together. You shall make yourself tassels on the four corners of the garment with which you cover yourself. Laws Concerning Sexual Immorality If any man takes a wife and goes into her and then hates her, and accuses her of misconduct, and brings a bad name upon her, saying, I took this woman, and when I came near her, I did not find in her evidence of virginity. Then the father of the young woman and her mother shall take and bring out the evidence of her virginity to the elders of the city in the gate. And the father of the young woman shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man to marry, and he hates her, and behold, he has accused her of misconduct, saying, I did not find in your daughter evidence of virginity, and yet this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity, and they shall spread the cloak before the elders of the city. Then the elders of that city shall take the man and whip him, and they shall fine him a hundred shekels of silver, and give them to the father of the young woman, because he has brought a bad name upon a virgin of Israel." and she shall be his wife. He may not divorce her all his days. But if the thing is true, that evidence of virginity was not found in the young woman, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones, because she has done an outrageous thing in Israel by whoring in her father's house. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall purge the evil from Israel. If there is a betrothed virgin, and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones, the young woman because she did not cry for help though she was in the city, and the man because he violated his neighbor's wife, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. But if in the open country a man meets a young woman who is betrothed, and the man seizes her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. She has committed no offense punishable by death. For this case is like that of a man attacking and murdering his neighbor, because he met her in the open country, and though the betrothed young woman cried for help, there was no one to rescue her. If a man meets a virgin who is not betrothed, and seizes her and lies with her, and they are found, then the man who lay with her shall give to the father of the young woman fifty shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife, because he has violated her. He may not divorce her all his days. 
A man shall not take his father's wife, so that he does not uncover his father's nakedness. This concludes our reading from the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Now let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we've read. We are reading regulations from the Law of Moses pertaining to the remaining journey of the people of Israel as they advance towards and into the promised land of Canaan. Today's reading opens with an unsolved murder. When the murderer is not found, who is to blame? How can the demand for justice be satisfied? There are several interesting factors that come to light as instructions are given for the cleansing of guilt that has not clearly landed on a known individual. Here are some observations. Number one, murder in particular and sin in general affect a community. Number two, the calls for justice for an unsolved crime don't dissipate by ignoring them. Number three, a diligent search for witnesses needs to be made so that the leaders of a community can say with a clear conscience, our hands have not shed this person's blood, nor did we see it happen. Number four, sin calls for punishment. Number five, forgiveness and the expiation or removal of all guilt, be it true guilt, assumed guilt, or corporate guilt, must ultimately come from God. Number six, this expiation comes by means of atonement. Justice can only be satisfied when sufficient payment is made. Number seven, both the elders and the priests are involved in this cleansing, which pictures the recognition of human responsibility in confession and intercession. We read of this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 and verse 9. The Bible gives us an indication that not only individuals are held accountable for their crimes, but in some cases, guilt can fall upon a community. If the body of a slain person is found lying in the open country and the murderer is unknown, the elders of the nearest town are summoned to make an offering to remove the guilt from their community. This offering involves the sacrifice of a heifer that is not pulled in a yoke. Notice that it is not the same offering as specified as the once and for all red heifering offering of purification that we read about in the book of Numbers. The leaders are to wash their hands over the heifer and confess their innocence and ask forgiveness on behalf of the community of any shedding of innocent blood. In this passage, we are reminded that the sacrifice of the heifer is a type of the voluntary death of God's Son as our perfect substitute. Like the heifer who has never been yoked to a plow and was taken through an unplowed, unseated field, Jesus was never yoked to sin or to Satan. He went through life, tempted at all points as we are, yet never engaged in the work of sin. The stream speaks of the running water, the living water of the Word that brings forth the witness of the finished work of Christ that we might experience purification. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 3, Now are you clean through the Word that I have spoken to you. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 9 says, So you shall remove the guilt of innocent blood from your midst when you do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. There are rather unusual situations described in this chapter. Wouldn't you agree? They may be puzzling to our sensibilities. They need to be understood in their proper historical context. God is not endorsing taking female prisoners of war as wives, nor is He approving of polygamy or providing easy rules for divorce. He is not suggesting that Israelites take Canaanite women as wives. Other laws will make that clear. 
rules and regulations were put in place to ensure a more compassionate treatment of women, whereas in other cultures, female prisoners of war would be abused or killed. This was not to be the case in Israel. If a man marries a female prisoner of war and he decides not to care for her as a wife, she is to go free, implying return to her home country if she so desires. She is not to be sold, treated as a slave, or abused. If a man has two wives and one is favored over the other, the inheritance must go to the firstborn son, even if he is the son of the unloved wife. The double portion to the firstborn will be a matter of law and not of favoritism. You may remember that the rights of the firstborn went to Jacob rather than to Esau. This was through Jacob's deceit. God did not approve of the deceit, but in his sovereignty he used this for his purposes. God gave the firstborn privileges to Joseph, the son of his beloved Rachel, rather than to Reuben, the son of his first wife Leah. Again, God sovereignly allowed this for his purpose. These were exceptions by God's choosing. In Deuteronomy, however, the rule is made plain. The double portion is to go to the firstborn. The law has also made clear that a man is not to multiply wives. We find this in the book of Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 and Deuteronomy chapter 17 verse 17. In the New Testament this remains the case. Each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 2, Matthew chapter 19 verses 3 to 9, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 31 as well as in the pastoral epistles. Rebellion is a serious sin and in the Old Testament law it was to be treated as such. The stoning of the rebellious, unrepentant son pictures the need to, quote, put away evil, unquote, a phrase used nine times in the book of Deuteronomy. We find it in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 5, chapter 17, verse 7, verse 12, chapter 19, verse 19, chapter 21, verse 21, chapter 22, verses 21 through 22, and verse 24, Chapter 24, verse 7. Christ came to put away evil, taking the judgment for sin on his own body. The Apostle Paul quotes this command as an illustration of the need for church discipline. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13. He says, Those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. In the New Testament, we see a contrast in the way a rebellious son is handled in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. This is because of the obedience of God's righteous Son. Next, we come to an important picture that is referred to in the New Testament, that of a criminal hanging on a tree that is reckoned as cursed. The public execution of a criminal and the display of the body hanging high or impaled on a tree as a warning to others must be regulated so that the body does not remain hanging overnight. Otherwise, the land will be defiled. A person who has committed a crime worthy of death is regarded as under the curse of God's law. The hanging of that person on the tree is the sign that identifies that person as cursed in the sight of God. The Apostle Paul reminds us that Deuteronomy chapter 21 verses 22 to 23 point forward to Christ. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 reads, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. 
Deuteronomy chapter 22 outlines social responsibilities, including caring for neighbors, such as returning lost things to rightful owners, and regulations pertaining to human sexuality. Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 5 makes it clear that transvestitism is detestable to the Lord. God made mankind male and female by His choosing and for His purpose. Young birds could be taken from the nest, but the mother was to be released, perhaps so she could continue reproducing. Rooftops were places of fellowship gatherings. We should protect the place of fellowship in our lives, and in the case of having guests on the roof, put railings around the perimeter to keep people from falling off. Laws forbidding mixture are a reminder of the need for purity in our lives. Mixed crops and unequal yokes are used as illustrations in New Testament teaching, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Wool is gathered from an animal. Linen is made from flax. Wool, when worn in the heat, produces sweat, representing the works of the flesh, the old in nature. Linen garments, which were to be worn by the priests, do not. Linen speaks of the righteousness of Christ. Jesus himself used that analogy when he likened himself to the seed which falls into the ground and dies to reproduce its life in a resurrection harvest. In John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 24, the gospel is not to be mixed. There is no room for the flesh to boast. It is a work of God's righteousness alone. In Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 to 41, we learn the reason for the tassels that are referred to in Deuteronomy 22. The Lord also spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and tell them that they are to make for themselves tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and that they shall put on the tassel of each corner a cord of blue. It shall be a tassel for you to look at, and remember all the commandments of the Lord, so as to do them, and not follow after your own heart and your own eyes, after which you played the harlot, so that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. The color blue reminds us that we are citizens of heaven. Next, we read regulations for sexual purity in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 13 to 30. It was important that the children of Israel kept sexually pure as they camped during their journey into the promised land. Biblical sexual ethics are important to us as we seek to walk worthy of our calling as the people of God. Adultery and fornication are strictly forbidden in both Old and New Testaments. Not only are these sins against your own body, but they are sins that can rip apart the fabric of society. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18 Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. The so-called acceptable sins of today are causing deep fractures in our social landscape. They undermine the basic social unit of the family. Adultery and premarital sex are not to be softly labeled as romantic affairs, flings, or rites of passage. Sex outside of marriage is a violation of God's will of command. When it is not repented of, it jeopardizes a person's experience of the kingdom of God. 
You can read about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, premarital sex is recognized as a sin against the father of the woman involved also. He must be compensated with 50 pieces of silver. And in this case, the man is to take responsibility for the woman he has had sex with and marry her. Furthermore, he is never to divorce her. Accusation of sexual misconduct is to be taken seriously. Those who make false accusations are to be punished for their libel. God gave these commands to Israel to prepare them for their inheritance. It is good to be reminded of the high regard that God has for human sexuality and marriage. Do you remember when the Pharisees were asking Jesus about divorce according to the law? Jesus answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now let's go to our reading from the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 51 through chapter 10, verse 12. This is the word of the Lord. A Samaritan village rejects Jesus. Luke 9, verse 51, English Standard Version. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him, who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Chapter 10 Jesus sends out the seventy-two. After this, the Lord appointed seventy-two others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. 
heal the sick in it, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we will wipe off against you. Nevertheless know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. This is the end of our New Testament reading from the Gospel of Luke. Verse 51 reminds us that Jesus had home in mind when he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. That home was not Jerusalem itself, but heaven and the joyous prospect of a new Jerusalem. People go up to Jerusalem. It is the city on a hill. But Jesus anticipates being taken up to heaven after finishing the work of redemption. Verse 51 reads, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. James and John, nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, were eager to ask God to send down fire upon those who refused to welcome Jesus into their villages. But Jesus rebukes them for their foolish zeal. He himself would take the wrath of God against human unbelief on his own body on the cross. Jesus calls us to follow him. We might dare to imagine that we can do this in our own strength, but this also would be foolish. We cannot identify with Jesus in life nor follow him until we are first identified with him in his death. This is why we must first take up our cross. There is a contrast between the nature of Jesus and the nature of the unregenerate man. We are very much interested in making our homes here on earth. Jesus had no place to lay his head on earth. In Luke 9, verse 58, his head was continually resting in intimate fellowship with the Father in heaven. In John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. The affections of those who are spiritually alive will be on things above and not on things below. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, Jesus says, let those who are spiritually dead bury their own dead. This is not a prohibition against attending funerals, but it is a clear teaching that the lifestyle of a disciple should demonstrably indicate that their treasure is in heaven and not on earth. We are to demonstrate that we are alive to God and things eternal. We must not allow ourselves to be distracted from submission to God's rule, not even by our natural affections for family and friends. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 72 disciples as 36 pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. People needed to be prepared in these target areas before his arrival. Special acts of healing brought recognition to the fact that Jesus, the prophesied Messiah King, had arrived and was on his way, as we learn in chapter 10, verse 8. If people turned away from him, it would be an indication that they loved darkness more than light, and a wrathful judgment would await them. Even the dust of your city which clings to our feet we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Luke chapter 10, verses 11 through 12. Now our reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 74. Reading today's psalm will be our daughter-in-law, Heather McAdam. Psalm 74. Arise, O God, defend your cause. Amaskal, 
of Asaph. O God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. Direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. The enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. Your foes have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their own signs for signs. They were like those who swing axes in a forest of trees, and all its carved wood they broke down with hatchets and hammers. They set your sanctuary on fire. They profaned the dwelling place of your name, bringing it down to the ground. They said to themselves, We will utterly subdue them. They burned all the meeting places of God in the land. We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet, and there is none among us who knows how long. How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. Yet God, my King, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open springs and brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day. Yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Remember this, O Lord, how the enemy scoffs and a foolish people reviles your name. Do not deliver the soul of your dove to the wild beast. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. Have regard for the covenant. For the dark places of the land are full of the habitations of violence. Let not the downtrodden turn back in shame. Let the poor and needy praise your name. Arise, O God, defend your cause. Remember how the foolish scoff at you all the day. Do not forget the clamor of your foes, the uproar of those who rise against you, which goes up continually. Thank you, Heather. This psalm looks back to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple by the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar. It also anticipates the desecration of the temple by Antiochus Epiphanes in 170-168 to B.C., the destruction of the temple by Titus of Rome in 70 A.D., and the future abomination and desolation of the temple by the Antichrist prophesied by Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, and Jesus in Matthew chapter 14, verse 15, and the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 to 4, and the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 13, verse 14. Psalm 74 describes a time of great spiritual discouragement 
There seems to be no more signs indicating God's presence and favor. The prophets are gone or silenced, and no one can tell when it will end. Psalm 74 verse 9 and Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 26. People have lost their vision of God's promise in Christ. Verses 12 to 15 acknowledge God's power manifested in the past. Verses 16 to 17 acknowledge His sovereignty over all. Yours is the day, yours also is the night. You have prepared the light and the sun. You have established all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. The psalm closes with a prayer. Psalm 74, verses 18 to 23 is a prayer for mercy for His name's sake. He reminds the Lord of His covenant promise to His people. When we remind God of His covenant promises in prayer, we are reminding ourselves of His faithfulness. Verse 21, Let not the oppressed return dishonored. Let the afflicted and needy praise your name. O faithful God, O faithful God, you lift us up and you uphold our cause. Our cause is His cause. His cause is our cause. Arise, O God, plead your own cause. Now let's read from Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Here is a good life management principle. Spend your time in productive work. Don't waste your time in that which does not bring benefit to others. You don't want an empty cupboard, an empty heart, or an empty head. Let's pray together. Gracious God, you hear the cry of the needy and the oppressed. You honor your covenant and the perfect work of your Holy Son. You are a faithful God. Uphold your cause and bring honor to your name in the way that you answer the prayers of your people. Do not let the enemy glory in our foolishness. Arise, O Lord, and vindicate your name. May your word run and be glorified. We thank you for renewing our mind with your truth. By your word and spirit, keep us on the path of obedience. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, everybody. We've covered a lot today, and we look forward to being with you tomorrow. Again, if you have any questions or you need encouragement to continue in this healthy habit of reading through the Bible, you can contact us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you want to know information about New Life, you can go to our website, newlife.org. God bless you, and have a great day.